Can we understand the Bible? Are we capable of reading the pages of divine inspiration and understanding what the Lord our God intended to communicate with those words? That's a very important question. Can we understand the Bible? It's a very important question that a lot of people are skeptical about. When you engage in discussions perhaps about controversial biblical teaching, perhaps it's biblical teaching about homosexuality, perhaps it's biblical teaching about the roles of men and women in the family, it's biblical teaching about the roles of men and women in the church. Those who don't particularly care for that teaching oftentimes will make the accusation that we simply cannot understand the Word of God. We cannot understand the Bible. And so since we cannot understand it, how dare you presume to know the will of God and to tell me that what I'm doing is wrong or to tell somebody else that something they're doing is wrong based on the Scriptures? Who are you? How do you know? We're told that we just can't understand it, that, that we will each bring to it the baggage of our own cultural experiences, the baggage of our own background, and we will see the Scriptures through that lens, and the way you see the Scriptures will be different from the way I see the Scriptures and there's nothing we can do about that. So this idea of this objective truth that can be understood by all the same way a lot of people reject. But as we said before, we don't particularly care what mankind says about that. We don't care what the pundits say about that. We don't care what the scholars say about that. But I tell you who we do care about. We care about what God says about whether his word can be understood. Because if God says that his word can be understood, and if God says that we will be judged by that word, and he does, then we're going to be accountable for knowing and understanding the word of God, i.e. the Bible. And I don't know about you, if I'm going to be accountable for something, then I better know, and I better understand and I better obey that to which I'm going to be accountable. So can we understand the Bible? That's the question we pose and present this morning. And we're going to study the scriptures to answer that question. The first point I want to make to you is this. is the Holy Spirit writes that we can and we must understand the will of God. The Holy Spirit writes that we must and we can understand the will of God. I want you to turn with me to Ephesians chapter 3, verses 1 through 7. I was just uh, delighted that that was chosen to be the passage to be read this morning. I did not share with anybody my outline. I did not share with anybody the verses I was going to use. And yet, everything just came together quite nicely. Ephesians chapter 3, verses 1 through 7. Ephesians, the third chapter, verses 1 through 7. Can we understand the Bible? For this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for you Gentiles, if indeed you have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God which was given to me for you, how that by revelation he made known to me the mystery, as I have briefly written already, by which when you read, you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ, 
which in other ages were not made known to the sons of men, as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to his holy apostles and prophets, that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs of the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ through the gospel, of which I became a minister according to the gift of the grace of God given to me by the effective working of his power. Paul says to the Ephesian brethren that God revealed something to me. And so God had knowledge that resided only in the mind of God until he decided to reveal it to me. He revealed that knowledge to me and then I wrote down that which had been revealed to me by God. God reveals it to me, I write it down. And then he says, when you read what I have written down, guess what? You understand my knowledge of the mystery of God. In other words, God revealed it to me, I wrote it down, you read it, and you understood it, and then you knew the same thing that I knew by revelation from God. Now that's a very important process, folks. Because Paul is telling us, and more importantly, the Holy Spirit is telling us, that we can and we must understand the Word of God. We can and we must understand it. And I want you to understand something here. Think about this. Who was Paul? Paul was a Jew. Not only was he a Jew, he was a Pharisee. He was a very ardent, very zealous Pharisee. He had been brought up in the traditions of the fathers. He said that he had excelled beyond many of his contemporaries. Here is a Jewish man who's writing to who? He says, you Gentiles. So they didn't have the same cultural background. <laughs> they weren't raised the same way. They didn't necessarily eat the same foods. They had a different culture. And he says, you know what? That doesn't matter. <laughs> It doesn't matter that you're a Gentile and I'm a Jew. He says, when God revealed this to me and I wrote it down, you can read it, you can understand it, and then you know the same things that I know by revelation from God. And it doesn't matter that you didn't grow up like me. It didn't matter that you didn't grow up in Jerusalem. It didn't matter that you weren't taught at the feet of Gamaliel. It doesn't matter that your father was not a Pharisee. What matters is you can read what I wrote. And you can understand what I wrote. And then you know the same thing that I know from God. And so this idea that we just can't understand the scriptures alike. Because uh, you're on one side of the track and I'm from another side of the track. You're from up north, I'm from down south. You're rich, I'm not. You're white, I'm black. You speak English, I don't. This notion that all of these differences change our understanding are refuted by Ephesians 3, 1 through 7 when he says, you can understand what I wrote and you know the same thing that I know in the mystery of Christ. And of course, that mystery was that God was going to bring together the Gentiles and the Jews into one family through the blood of Jesus Christ. That was the mystery that had not been revealed in other ages, but now has been revealed. And he says, every single one of you can understand it. So the scriptures teach, the Holy Spirit teaches, we can and we must understand the word of God. Look at Ephesians chapter 5, verse 17. This is real simple. Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 17. Ephesians, the fifth chapter, verse 17. The Bible says this. Therefore, do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. People say we can't do that. And here is the Holy Spirit saying, not only can you do it, but you better do it. 
You understand the will of the Lord. Who knows our minds better than God Almighty? Who knows the abilities that we have mentally better than God Almighty? Who knows the limitations of the human mind better than God Almighty, the creator of us all? And he says, I know your minds. I know your capabilities. I know your restrictions. I know your limitations. But nevertheless, you understand what the will of the Lord is. Don't tell me. More importantly, don't tell God that we can't understand what the will of the Lord is. Because God just told us the very opposite. And we're not trying to be haughty. And we're not trying to be self-righteous. We're just reading what the word of the Lord says. God says, you must understand my will. And God doesn't ask us to do something that we're not capable of doing. If God says, understand what the will of the Lord, guess what? We can and we must understand that will. Look at 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 14 through 17. 2 Timothy chapter 3. Verses 14 through 17. Paul, an older preacher, by inspiration tells Timothy, a younger preacher, but you must continue in the things which you have learned and been assured of, knowing from whom you have learned them, and that from childhood you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. And before we get to the broader point, I think it's interesting. I think it's interesting that Paul says by inspiration to Timothy that from childhood, from childhood, he had known the Holy Scriptures. Don't tell me that children can't understand the Word of God. <laughs> Because Paul just said by inspiration that this young man, Timothy, had known the Holy Scriptures from childhood. And it wasn't because Timothy was some child prodigy. Any child can understand Scripture. I understand that as we grow, we develop, and we have a greater knowledge. I didn't say that. I didn't contradict that. But I'm saying exactly what Paul said here is that it's possible for a child to know the Scriptures but notice that he says that all Scripture is given by inspiration of God. So the things that we read in this book, these are not the things that these men decided to write. It's not the world according to Paul, the world according to Peter, the world according to Matthew, the world according to... No, this is God's Word using these men as vessels to communicate to us His will that can be understood. And notice the purpose of it, that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Now, if we can't understand the Word of God, if we can't understand what God is telling us, how in the world are we going to be thoroughly equipped unto every good work? How in the world are we going to reach spiritual maturity? That's the intent of it. He says the Scriptures, because they're God-given, are proper for reproof and instruction in righteousness. How is that true if we can't understand it? I can't be instructed in something that I can't understand. I can't rebuke you based on something that I can't understand and you can't understand either. God is telling us, oh, yes, you can understand my will. Oh, yes, you can understand my word and you better understand it because it's a standard for truth. It is truth, if you will. Now, I will say this. I'm not saying that all of God's word is easy to understand. I didn't say that. 
I didn't say that there's not some difficulty in understanding certain passages. No, I didn't say that. I'm not going to say that because Peter didn't say that. Look at 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 14 through 16. 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 14 through 16. 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 14 through 16. The Bible says this. Therefore, beloved, looking forward to these things, talking about the destruction of the entire universe when Jesus comes back, looking forward to these things, be diligent to be found by him that is Jesus in peace without spot and blameless and consider that the long suffering of our Lord is salvation as also our beloved brother Paul according to the wisdom given to him has written to you as also in all his epistles and listeners speaking in them of these things in which are some things hard to understand which untaught and unstable people twist to their own destruction as they do also the rest of the scriptures. Now the first point we want to make is this. Well, I tell you what, the Apostle Paul, he takes it hard on the chin, doesn't he? People don't like the Apostle Paul. They, they don't like what he says. They don't like what he wrote. Don't like what he said about the family and men and women. Don't like what he said about the qualifications of elders and the implications for gender roles in the church. People don't like the Apostle Paul. They attack the Apostle Paul. You know what? What the Apostle Paul wrote, the scripture. He said, how do you know that? From what we just read. Well, where does it say that? He says that these people take the things that Paul wrote, some of which, some of which are hard to understand. He said these untaught and unstable people, they take that and they twist it to their destruction as they do the rest of the scriptures. Hmm. What has he been talking about? The epistles of Paul, the letters of Paul. He says these people take the letters of Paul and they take the difficult aspects of it and they twist and they rest it to their own destruction as they do the rest of the scriptures. Hmm. If I told you that I was in downtown Nashville and I was walking along 2nd Avenue and I said that I saw a gentleman who was about six foot six, 350 pounds, and not an ounce of fat on him. Six foot six, 350, not an ounce of fat. And that's all I told you. I just gave you that description. And then I told you that I went down Broadway, and then I saw the rest of the Tennessee Titans football team. Now, what do you now know about Mr. Six Foot Six, 350 that you didn't know when I first said it? You know that he is also a member of the Tennessee Titans. Why? Because I said I saw this individual who was six foot six and 350 on Second Avenue, and then when I went to Broadway, I saw the rest of the Tennessee Titans, meaning that he also is a Tennessee Titan. He also is in that same category. And Peter says, that these people twist and rest Paul's writings, Paul's epistles, Paul's letters as they do the rest of the scriptures, putting Paul's epistles in the same category of scripture, which we just read in 2 Timothy 3, 14 through 17, is inspired of God. So when somebody says, as was said to me when I was in school, 
I have a problem with the teachings of the Apostle Paul in Ephesians 5, 22-33 when he suggests that a husband is over the wife and that the wife must submit to her husband as the church submits to Christ. And she says, I have a problem with the Apostle Paul because of that teaching. You're wrong. You don't have a problem with the Apostle Paul. Leave him out of it. You have a problem with the God who inspired Paul to write that. Because Peter says what Paul wrote is scripture. But getting back to the point that I wanted to make is this. Did you notice that Peter said some of what Paul writes is hard to understand? Okay, that's our point. We didn't say it was easy. We didn't say everything is just low-hanging fruit. <laughs> but the point is Peter did not say the things, anything that, P, that Paul wrote was impossible to understand. He didn't say that. He just said that some of those things are hard to understand. Which means what? Which means we got to work harder to understand it. That's all. Got to spend a little more time. Got to spend a little more effort. Got to roll up our sleeves and start working at the scriptures. Look at 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 15. 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 15. The Holy Spirit teaches that we can and we must understand the word of God. 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 15, reading from the New King James Version, be diligent to present yourself approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Bible study is work. He says we want to be a workman and we don't want to be ashamed before God. And how is it that we can be a worker in the eyes of God and not be ashamed? We can rightly divide the word of truth. What does that mean? We can understand it. Right? If you rightly divide something, that means you understand that thing. And if you rightly divide something, what does it also mean you can do? You can wrongly divide it. So yes, you can misunderstand God's word. But more importantly here, he says that you can and you must understand it. You can rightly divide. In other words, you can correctly interpret what God's word says. So the Holy Spirit says, yes, you can and you must understand the word of God. But let me give you a second point. Second point is this. Jesus expected those who heard him to have read and understood the scriptures. I'll say that again. Jesus expected those who heard him to have read and understood the scriptures. Let's prove that. Matthew chapter 19, verses 3 through 6. Matthew chapter 19, verses 3 through 6. Can we understand the Bible? Jesus expected those who heard him to have read and to have understood the scriptures. Matthew chapter 19, verses 3 through 6. Matthew the 19th chapter, verses 3 through 6. The Pharisees also came to him, that's Jesus, testing him, saying to him, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for just any reason? And he answered, listen to this. And he answered and said to them, Have you not read? The he who made them at the beginning made them male and female and said, For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So then they are no longer two but one flesh. Therefore what God has joined together, let not man separate. Here's the question. Jesus, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for just any reason? And what did Jesus say? Jesus said, Haven't you read? <laughs> haven't you read the scriptures on that point haven't you read Genesis chapter 2 verse 24 
where it talks about God bringing the man together into one flesh, he says, you should know the answer to that question. Don't ask me something that you should already know. Haven't you read and haven't you understood? And I'll tell you what's interesting about that. Look again to what Jesus' conclusion was, verse 6. Therefore, what God has joined together, let not man separate. Now, here's what's interesting about that. You go back to Genesis 2.24, that specific statement is not made. <laughs> you go back to Genesis 2.24, it doesn't say, therefore what God has joined together, let not man separate. What it talks about is man and woman being brought together into that one flesh relationship. And then Jesus says, you know what? You can read that. You can understand that, and it is necessarily inferred, it is necessarily implied that what God has joined together, let not man separate, even though it wasn't expressly stated. Jesus expected them to have read and understood and to have reached that conclusion. You see that? Jesus expected people to read and understand the Bible correctly. And so if we're going to say, well, we can't understand the Bible, well, somebody forgot to tell Jesus that. Because Jesus, when he spoke, expected his audience to have had the capacity to read and to have read and to have reached the proper conclusion. That's why he's upbraided saying, look, y'all know better than this. You don't ask me that kind of question. All you had to do is read Genesis 2.24, and if you would have read that and understood it like you can, you would know the answer to that question, and you wouldn't be asking me this stuff. Because all they were doing was testing him anyway. They didn't care about truth. They are just testing him. Look at uh, Matthew chapter 22, verses 28 through 33. Jesus expected his audience to have read and understood the scriptures. Genesis chapter 22. You remember, the Sadducees did not believe in the resurrection. And so they were going to test Jesus and see if they can catch him in something. They said, you know, Jesus, you know, in the old law, if you had a man who was married and uh, the man died before he had any children, then under the old law, his brother was supposed to marry his wife and bring up an offspring for him. So he said, you know, there, there was that first man who died and the brother took on that wife and then that brother died and the other brother, and he just kept going through seven. And then finally, the woman died. And then here's the question. <laughs> in heaven, after the resurrection... Whose wife is this woman? Because she's been married to all seven brothers. <laughs> they say they got him, right? Now, see, they don't believe in the resurrection. So what they're trying to show is, Jesus, it's absurd for you to believe in the resurrection because you can't even reconcile your belief with what the Old Testament says. <laughs> now, let's listen to how Jesus responds to that. Verse 29, Jesus answered and said to them, you are mistaken not knowing the scriptures nor the power of God. For in the resurrection, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like angels of God in heaven. But concerning the resurrection of the dead, have you not read what was spoken to you by God, saying, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob? God is not the God of the dead, but of the living. And when the multitudes heard this, they were astonished at his teaching. How does Jesus respond to this hypothetical? Jesus said, look, you guys are wrong. <laughs> you guys are mistaken. You don't know the scriptures. The implication being you can and you should have, but you don't know the scriptures. And probably more to the heart of the matter, you don't believe in the power of God. That's the problem. The scriptures clearly teach resurrection. You just don't believe it. 
Now, this is where it gets really, really interesting. I mean, really, I mean, this is people say, well, you don't have to be so detail-oriented. I want you to pick up on this. So after he says, look, your hypothetical is invalid because when we're in heaven after the resurrection, we'll be like angels in heaven. He said, we, we, we don't give in marriage. We're not married and not married. We're just like angels. That, that concept doesn't make sense. But he said, let me go one further because he said, this is really what's at the heart of this problem. You don't believe in the resurrection of the dead. He said, now you should have already read something. Over there in Exodus chapter 3, where we're given the description of the interaction between Moses and God at the burning bush. And specifically in verses 6 of chapter 3 and verse 15, God makes a statement. God says, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Now watch this. He says, God is not the God of the dead, but of the living. What's, what's, what's Jesus saying? What's Jesus saying? He's saying this. He said, guys, Jesus, I mean, God spoke to Moses. He said, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Now, when he made that statement, all three of those men were dead physically. Now, here's what he didn't say. If there is no resurrection, if these men no longer exist, what Jesus, or what God should have said is, I was the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Because they were once alive, but they now no longer are alive. I was the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But he didn't say that. He said, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Now, what should you have taken from that? What should you have necessarily inferred? What was necessarily implied when God makes a present tense statement about men who are physically dead? Here's the conclusion. Those men still live. They are still alive, not physically, but there is an afterlife. They still exist. And God, Jesus says, you should have known that. Now, folks, I'm going to tell you. <laughs> That's tough. You go back and read the burning bush, and you tell me if the first thought that comes to your mind is that God is teaching us that there's resurrection from the dead, but that's exactly what Jesus said. You should have read that. You should have understood that, and you should have reached the conclusion that those men must be alive, therefore there is a resurrection from the dead. Don't tell me that we can't understand the Bible because Jesus taught otherwise. He expected the audiences he taught to to have both read and understood the scriptures. Now, was that an unreasonable expectation? When Jesus created those individuals, he knew fully what they're capable of. And knowing that, he says, you should have read it, you should have understood it, and you should have reached this conclusion. The Bible teaches, Jesus taught, that we can understand the scriptures. But let me go a point further, third point. Jesus told the Pharisees, that their eternal destiny, their eternal destiny would turn on the correct interpretation of Messianic prophecy. Say that again. Jesus told the Pharisees that their eternal destiny would turn on their correct interpretation of Messianic prophecy. Let's look at that. John chapter 8, verses 21 through 24. John chapter 8, verses 21 through 24. They said, he said their eternal destiny would turn on them interpreting correctly the Messianic prophecies. 
John chapter 8, verses 21 through 24. John the 8th chapter, verses 21 through 24. Then Jesus said to them again, I'm going away and you'll seek me and will die in your sins. Where I go, you cannot come. So the Jews said, will he kill himself? Because he says, where I go, you cannot come. And he said to them, listen to this. You are from beneath. I am from above. You are of this world. I am not of this world. Therefore, I said to you that you will die in your sins. For if you do not believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. What does Jesus mean when he says, unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. He's saying, unless you read the Messianic prophecies in the Old Testament scripture, unless you understood those Messianic prophecies, and unless you apply those correctly to me, I am the Messiah, I am the promised one, I am the Redeemer, I am the Lion of Judah. Unless you interpreted those Messianic prophecies that way, you will what? Die in your sins. What is that? Eternal spiritual destruction. All because they didn't get it right in terms of understanding who the Messiah was. Folks, that, that's startling. We're not talking about some kind of academic debate and, you know, I take a liberal view and you take a conservative view. Jesus said, if you don't get this point right, you die in your sins. Now, is it fair for Jesus to take that position if well, we just can't understand God's word? We can't understand those Messianic prophecies. Absolutely it's fair because we can't understand and they could understand and they should have understood. And don't tell me that nobody did back then. Sometimes we hear that in Bible studies. You ever heard of Simeon? You ever heard of Anna? They were waiting, and they got it right. So it can be understood because Jesus said the spiritual destiny of these men would turn on whether or not they understood what the Bible said about the Messiah. Fourth point lesson is yours. Jesus tells us, or tells us that we will be judged by his words. In the last day, in judgment day, Jesus says, you and I are going to be judged by his words. Look at John chapter 12, verses 47 through 50. John, the 12th chapter, verses 47 through 50. Can we understand the Bible? Well, Jesus said, not only can we understand it, we better understand it because we're going to be judged by them. John 12, 47 through 50. John chapter 12, verses 47 through 50. The Bible says this, if anyone hears my words and does not believe... I do not judge him, for I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. He who rejects me, and listen to this, he who rejects me and does not receive my words has that which judges him. The word that I have spoken will judge him in the last day. For I have not spoken on my own authority, but the Father who sent me gave me a command what I should say and what I should speak. And I know that his command is everlasting life. Therefore, whatever I speak, just as the Father has told me, so I speak. What does he say? He says, you have the words that will judge you in the final day. He says, the words that I speak, that's what's going to judge you in the final day. Now, let me ask you this. Is it fair to be judged by the words of Jesus if we can't understand the words of Jesus? We're just not capable of understanding it, and we certainly can't understand it alike. Is it fair for Jesus to say your eternal destiny, whether you go to heaven or whether you go to hell, is going to be based on these words that I speak, my words, but y'all can't possibly understand. 
What would it make sense? Would this scenario make sense? If I told you that what kind of life you live in this country in terms of your standard of living, what kind of job, what kind of material possessions you have, the socioeconomic status, all that is going to be governed by a standard. And that standard is going to be written in Chinese. And I'm going to judge you by that. Is that fair? You don't know Chinese, and if you do, I exclude you. Somebody may know it. But for the most part, most of us don't know Chinese. I barely know English. I tell people I speak East Tennessee. That's what I grew up. I don't know the king's English. But, but, but if we have a standard that is in one language and the people who are governed by it don't know that language, is that fair? Of course not. So do we have Jesus saying, now you're going to be judged by my words, but oh, by the way, because of the way your brains work and the way culture works and the way people learn things, you can't possibly understand what I said, but I'm still going to judge you by my words. No, that's not God. That's not the God of the Bible. If we're going to be judged by those words, we can understand those words. God is just. God is fair. And I'll tell you something. Not only can we understand, we better understand them if that's what we're going to be judged by. That's why we better spend some more time in the book, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> if this is what's going to determine whether I go to heaven or hell, this is the book that we need to spend a lot more time in. I know there are a lot of wonderful books out there, a lot of things we can read, but we all have limited time. You better spend a lot of that limited time in this book because Jesus says this is the book that's going to judge you in the last day. And let me say this because, again, sometimes we have people that say, well, you know, certain subjects weren't addressed by Jesus uh, in his earthly ministry, uh, certain subjects are not addressed in the red letters. And so somehow that's second class scripture. That's, that's just not what we're going to be judged by. Let's let just challenge that a little bit. John chapter 16, verses 12 through 15. Jesus has said we're going to be judged by his words. John chapter 16, verses 12 through 15. John the 16th chapter, verses 12 through 15. Here's Jesus talking. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. However, when he, the spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak on his own authority. Whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will tell you things to come. I want you to listen to this. He will glorify me, for he will take of what is mine and declare it to you. All things that the Father has are mine. Therefore, I said that he will take of mine and declare it to you. Okay. We saw in John 12, 47 through 50, we're going to be judged by the words of Jesus. And then in John 16, the words of Jesus, in red letters, no doubt, in my Bible, he says, I'm not giving you everything now. <laughs> you can't handle it. But guess what? The spirit of truth is going to bring you the rest of what? My words. Because what does he say? He says the spirit is going to take of what is mine and declare it to you. Did you catch that? The Spirit, Jesus says, now the Spirit, you know where he's going to get those words? Those are my words. Those are Jesus' words, which in turn came from the Father. And so whatever the Spirit is going to tell these men to write is just as much the words of Jesus as the stuff that he said during his earthly ministry in red letters. <laughs> so if we're going to be fair about this standard it does not matter whether Jesus himself said anything specifically, expressly about homosexuality. Now, there's some stuff there, folks. There's some stuff there. But it may not be as explicit as the Apostle Paul, but here's the problem for you. The Holy Spirit 
inspired Paul to write what he wrote about homosexuality. And Jesus said, those words are mine. Those words are mine. So there's no getting around Jesus' words. It's not just what he said during his earthly ministry. That's not even fair. He just said, I can't give you everything. And then how are you going to turn around and say, well, it doesn't matter if Jesus didn't say. He just told you he's not going to give it all to you. Let's be fair with the text and be fair with the words of Jesus. And that standard, Jesus said, is going to judge us in the last day. So not only can we understand, ladies and gentlemen, brothers and sisters, we better understand. Can we understand the word of God? Absolutely so. We must. So what that means for you and I practically is we better spend some time in that book. Because we read from 2 Peter 3, 14 through 16 that some of the things that Paul wrote are hard to understand. So we're going to have to work at it. We're going to have to spend some time. We're going to have to cut off some of the ball games and maybe not go uh, play so many video games and, and maybe shut off some of their entertainment and not do so much streaming and sit down with God's Word and dig it out and get it. And the thing that's wonderful is we can all get it. We can all get it. And you don't have to have a, a super brilliant IQ and you don't have to have all the education in the world. Some of the most powerful students of the Bible I've ever known didn't even have a college degree. Didn't even have a high school degree. It's not about that. It's about your heart. Getting in there and digging it out. Now, let me say this. Can the word of God be misunderstood? Yeah, it can be misunderstood. You can misunderstand it because you have incomplete knowledge. Remember over in Acts chapter 18, verses 24 through 28, Apollos. Now, Apollos, now, what he had been instructed in, the baptism of John, he knew that well, and he taught that accurately. But the problem was he didn't know about the baptism of Jesus. So Aquila and Priscilla, they hear him speak in the synagogue. They're like, okay, that guy's got incomplete knowledge. Let's pull him aside. And they did. They didn't embarrass him. They just pulled him aside and said, hey, man, here's the way of the Lord more perfectly. And he got it. And guess what he did? He started preaching the whole truth. But the problem was he didn't have all truth. So if you don't have all truth, it's going to be hard for you to understand the word of God. You've got to get it all. And please don't fall in this category. Sometimes people miss it. It's not because they don't have it all. They just have a bad heart. John chapter 8, verses 37 to 47. Jesus talked to some people and said, you know what? You can't understand my word. You know why? He says, my word has no place in your heart. Some people don't want the word of God. They don't care. They just don't want to do what God says. Let it never be named among us. But if you don't have a heart problem and you've got all the word and we have it at our disposal, there's no sense in not getting it all. You can understand the word of God. And therefore, you can be prepared for judgment day. And so can we understand the Bible? Yes, we can, and we better. I don't want to close any service without extending the Lord's invitation. It's not mine. It's not this congregation. It's the Lord's invitation. The Lord invites you to become a part of his body. The Lord invites you to become a part of his church. The Lord invites you to flee the wrath that is to come, the wrath of God that we talked about earlier in this meeting. How do you do that? You've got to obey the gospel of Jesus Christ. So, well, what, what is that? Is it just believing? Well, no, you do have to believe. We talked about without faith, it's possible to please God. Here comes God. Must believe that he is. He's rewarded of those who diligently seek him. So we're not denying that faith is a part of the scriptural prescription for sin. It is. You've got to believe. But you can't stop there. Not only do you have to believe, based on that belief, you have to confess that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Based on that belief, you have to repent of your former way of life. And yes, based on that belief, you have to be baptized into Christ. That's not sprinkling and that's not pouring. And guess what? I'm not going to cite Barton W. Stone. I don't need to cite Thomas uh, Alexander Campbell or any of those folks. It's the Bible. (laughs) 
If you know what it means to be biblically baptized, you understand that's a burial. They say it in Romans 6, 1 through 4, we're buried with him in baptized. You don't bury a man by sprinkling some dirt on him. You put him under. And we have to be put under the water. Don't be like Naaman and question that stuff. By faith, we believe that the Lord says, you're baptized, the blood of my son will wash away your sins, and I'll add you to my church. We believe that. And we may not be able to work out all the details on that, but we believe it nonetheless. If you're here today and you have not been baptized into Christ, you need to be baptized right this very instant. You need to obey the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I tell you what, when you come out of that watery grave of baptism, having all your sins washed away, it is the absolute best feeling you can possibly have. You are now a fit vessel for the work of the Lord, the most fulfilling work to be done on this side of the grave, to seek and save that which is lost. That's the very reason why Jesus came, Luke 19.10, to seek and save that which is lost. And you get to be a part of this family that's doing everything it can to bring more souls to Jesus. You tell me, is there a better existence than that? I don't care what you do. I don't care if you're a teacher, a lawyer, doctor, mechanic, uh, entrepreneur, engineer, all honorable professions, or at least can be. Uh, but it doesn't, but the most important thing you are is an ambassador for Christ. A soul winner for Jesus. That's what it's all about. Nobody's going to care about that work in heaven. But people will work about, what did you do for Christ? And you can go to bed every night with the assurance that no matter what happens, whether you wake up the next day or not, whether disaster lies on the horizon or not, you're safe in the arms of Jesus. Because, you know, we're just getting through this life, right? This is not the end all be all. We forget about that. Man, we're going to heaven. <laughs> We act like we're going to stay here forever. Nobody, everybody has an appointment with death, and unless the Lord comes back first, you're going to meet it. So might I suggest that we get prepared for the next life? Because it's coming whether you want it or not. And so if we know that there's another life beyond this, the resurrection of the dead that the Sadducees didn't believe in, and Jesus said you should have, then we better be prepared for that. And we be prepared, or we are prepared, by obeying what God has said. You're not a Christian. You need to obey the gospel. If you're already a Christian, you've fallen away. Get back in the fold. Get back with the rest of the sheep. You know better. You know what you're doing. You know, I don't understand people away from the Lord, how you stay away from the Lord so long. You know you ought to be an abject terror. When you go to sleep, how do you sleep at night? Because you know good and well. You know you've read about the wrath of God. You've read how terrible it is. You've read about the worm that does not die and, and the fire that's not quenched. You know that stuff. And you know good and well if the Lord were to come back, that's what your fate would be, and yet you persist in that state. That doesn't make any sense. Get out of that stuff. The Lord wants you back. This is an opportunity for you to do that. Today is the day of salvation. If anyone is subject to that invitation, either one who needs to obey the gospel of Jesus Christ or an erring child of God needs to come back to the Father, we ask that you come forward as we stand and as we sing this song of invitation.